This episode of the Cocktail Party Congress is brought to you by Raskolnikov Grain Alcohol. It's 150 proof and it will drag you down to the darkest depths of human depravity. Raskolnikov, let the punishment fit the crime. This podcast contains explicit language and graphic depictions of alcohol use. Listener discretion is advised. And please, as always, drink responsibly. In vino veritas. Liberty is too precious a thing to be buried in books, Miss Saunders. Men should hold it up in front of them every single day of their lives and say, I'm free to think and to speak. My ancestors couldn't, I can. And my children will. You know, I'm a voter. Aren't you supposed to lie to me and kiss my butt? Cocktail Party Congress, the only political podcast to our knowledge with a three-drink minimum. I am JT Andrews. And I am Dan Caves. All right, Dan Caves. We are on... How many amendments were you covering tonight? Tonight, Well, we... Okay, we've had a couple of twofers in the past, but we are having a three-for-one special. We're oh. doing seven, eight, and nine tonight. We're so close to the end, JT. We're, we're cramming it in. You really are. Oh boy! Uh, it's I'm excited. It's yeah, I, I think so. I mean, we're, we're you know, this is kind of a daunting task trying to talk about three amendments at once. But you know what? Might as well take the weight of the weight of the world on our shoulders. Why not? You know, it's it'll be a good thing. And uh, you know, I think the way our discussions have been going recently, I think we're we're probably going to have a pretty pretty lively one tonight. I most certainly hope so. We will see, but um, but for now, our dispatch from Mahogany Ridge. Dan, what are we drinking? <laughs> Tonight, we are drinking the Chicago cocktail. And uh, if you still have the ingredients from last time, you are basically prepared. What you are going to need for the Chicago is cognac or brandy, uh, triple sec, and bitters. You better always have bitters on your side. You know, bitters they la- make the cocktail. The bitters make the cocktail, and they last. So you've already bought for a few episodes ago, so you're ready to go. So to make a Chicago, you're going to take two parts cognac or brandy, one part triple sec, and uh, your bitters mixed over the rocks in a rocks glass. Um, and you can garnish that with a slice of lemon if you'd like, and uh, you really should. Because it really does tie the tie the drink together. I uh, we, we were just talking before we hit record, and for my second drink, I I neglected to add the lemon. But I've taken this my third drink for this uh, recording. I've added the lemon, and holy smokes, is it doesn't make a difference. So don't leave out the lemon, my friends. The lemon, dear listeners. The lemon is fantastic because especially if you spray all those oils over the inside of the glass, like oh yeah. Um, Lemon rind is just full of flavors and those little oils and uh, really makes a fantastic drink. This is a good choice, Mr. Caves. You're very welcome for that. Uh, Keep, you know, make it easier for our listeners so that, you know, they've already invested in one set of liquors. They might as well get a little bit more use out of it, you know. And we're, we're switching it up with the cognac and the brandy and all that. So, hey, enjoy. And uh, I'm sure that in most jurisdictions, 
in America these days, it's uh, hot out. And, and this is a quite a refreshing. It's got a like the triple sec gives it that citrusy like freshness to it, and a lot like a lot like a sidecar. It's a very refreshing drink. Absolutely, yeah, you're correct about that. So uh, now that everyone has gone and oh no, before I continue, <laughs> <laughs> I would like to add there is a variation on this that's fine. But I will recommend the rocks glass uh, version on the rocks. But you can pour those spirits into a cocktail shaker with ice, stir it up to give it some dilution, and then pour it into a champagne flute and top it with champagne. It's a very different experience. It's good. But for the love of God, you've got to try what we're doing here for the official featured cocktail of the Cocktail Party Congress for Episode 9. Go with the rocks. It's the only way to go. So, yeah, I mean, I have actually not tried it with the champagne yet, but uh, the rocks version is fantastic. Mm, I'm glad you think so. It's it's so good. I, I mean, <laughs> it's such a nebulous phrase to use, but it's pretty soon it's, we'll have smell a vision, and uh, our listeners will be able to actually smell what what's going on in this glass right now. Yeah, it like. Not quite as much as St. Germain does, but it smells a bit like an old lady's perfume. <laughs> yeah. Just fine, you know? It covers up the rest of the old person smell, but... I was going to say old lady's That's perfume. Besides... Is it because the old ladies are wearing perfume or just because they've been sipping on cocktails the entire day? <laughs> <laughs> my kind of old lady's probably the latter, you know? <laughs> I think it's my dad's... Um, some of my dad's aunts used to have... Uh, he remembers going over to their houses. They would have, they would have just empty boxes of black, of black velvet in the basement. Just, oh no! Just, <laughs> yeah. Oh no! Just incredible amounts of black velvet. I'm just like, well, when I reach retirement age, I guess drinking black velvet and playing bridge all day would <laughs> might suit my <laughs> demeanor, but. Uh, my mom, God rest poker. her soul, uh, used to tell stories of like the old world Italians on in her family, like her growing up. She would watch these old people like drinking highballs until like two a.m. playing cards, and it's like, how do they get the fortitude to do that? And it's, it, I mean, how do you get to Carnegie? Uh, how, uh, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? Practice. Practice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, but hey, you know, we're, we're putting on our practice and, um, it's preparing us for this. <laughs> preparing us for retirement. How are you preparing this... for retirement? Drinking heavily. <laughs> yeah. And it's preparing us for this triple hitter of a, of a podcast. So, oh, yeah. um, yeah, as we said, we're talking about, we're, 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 we're gotta... flinging ourselves headlong into the end of the bill of rights. I can't believe we're already almost there. We are. We're yeah. seven, eight, and nine. I mean, yeah. So I guess I mean, you I mean, can insert to stick to form. Let, let's. You can insert your <laughs> uh, Star Wars analogy there, but do <laughs> go on. <laughs> oh no! Uh, hey, Force Awakens was pretty good. Last Jedi is fine. It's the first one that I've only seen once. It was but um, it was that's mad. beside the point. Yeah, it's beside the point. I haven't seen Solo yet, but yeah, uh, no, we're getting sidetracked. Yeah, we're going to get back on course, back on course. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure you would love to hear us talk about this kind of stuff, but hey, we got a job to do. <laughs> Maybe that'll be another show, uh, The Politics of Star Wars. But um, for, for, for now, 
I am the Senate. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, the, the ham, uh, the ham-fistedness of the prequels. Who? Uh... All right. Remember? Well, yeah, seven, eight, <laughs> seven, eight, nine. I, I, I got lost. Seven, eight, I, nine. I, I, yeah, let's each take an amendment here, JT. Um, and uh, I'll start. Let's, let's go with this. This one I'll be I'll be familiar with pretty soon. Uh, in suits at common law, this is number seven. Just in case anybody was curious, in suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed twenty dollars, certainly a mark of its time, uh, the right of trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States than according to the rules of the common law. And next, there. You go. <laughs> All right, <laughs> amendment number eight. There we go. Excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. Mm. Your turn. <laughs> uh, and hey, uh, just to round it off with an odd number, Amendment 9. The enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage others retained by the people. The, the people. There it is. You folks. There we are. <laughs> Every, us, all of us. Us folks. Us. The royal we. The royal we. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, hey, JT, where do we even want to start with this one? Um, uh... <laughs> maybe we start... How about this? Let's start with the least useful one and work backwards. Okay. Because, there, there we because, go. Because I was reading up on the Ninth Amendment, and um, it's not very... It's kind of hard to wrap your head around as a student, as, as like a kid going through the public school system. I don't recall ever really understanding what the hell they were talking about there. But um, I, I was looking into it, and it, it, it's it's sort of there as a fine, let's just put it in kind of amendment. <laughs> uh, it, it's an answer to a debate that was going on in the Federalist Papers of, you know, why should we take the time to prohibit that which the government isn't even allowed to do. It, it, it was like a philosophical difference between, um, you know, the founders. I think, I th oh, God. The, the, okay, this is one of the problems of being a, a drunk and not having a, <laughs> a, a tab open for this. I'm just going to say Hamilton is one of the people who made that point, like arguing against the need for a Ninth Amendment, but it's, but it's like... Yeah, you might as well just make a point to say that, like, in future times, the government is going to think that it's it's going to reinterpret its its authority to do things, and it's not always going to be a given what it's allowed to do. So why bother? Because future generations are going to have very different philosophical thoughts than what was happening in the late 18th century. And I, I don't know, JT, if you have any thoughts on that. I, I mean, like, it's... It seems like the the debate was pretty cut and dry as to who came out on top, because the Ninth Amendment exists, uh, mm -hmm. and uh, they decided to prove Hamilton wrong, and yeah, uh, it, put it in there. And I think it's a good thing because it's uh, it, it's sort of like that uh, an extra fail safe mechanism for uh, for the the people's rights. Um, mm -hmm just in case the government decides to redefine what redefine its power 
constitutionally. Um, this amendment actually makes sure that they can't really do that. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it, it's an it's an amendment of compromise. It, it, it's an it's an admission that okay, fine. Let's just admit that there's a possibility in the future that something bad is going to come up that you know that that might test this. But like, a, a part of the problem of having a serious conversation about this, especially be- between two laymen, you know, <laughs> we're not really is that we are not this... legal experts, <laughs> at least at this point in our lives. But you don't need to be a legal expert to know that the Supreme Court has never tried or interpreted a case based on the Ninth Amendment because it is such a, like, it's it's sort of like a, yeah, I guess throw it in kind of amendment where it's, yeah. so far no jurisprudence Be- exists. Better to have it. it, not need it, than need it and not have it. That's, yeah, absolutely. that's sort of how the Ninth Amendment ended up in there. Uh, probably the same case in the Seventh Amendment. I didn't do too much reading up on that one. You know, lawsuits. You know, all, all that. It, it 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 guarantees the trial by jury for for lawsuits. Basically, it's not just for criminal uh, proceedings. You know, it's going to have it's going to have applicability for, for for you know other you know torts and whatnot. You know, civil wrongs and all that. But I think we're probably going to have the most the yeah. most to talk about for for the eighth amendment and the eighth amendment is such a such a juicy it topic it is i mean amendment Indeed. seven 20 bucks is 20 bucks i mean mm-hmm. <laughs> i know <laughs> like i said it's such a it's such a mark of the era that 20 dollars is the is the is is the floor and, for for, and, for that and and this was before the days of a central bank wasn't it i mean yeah what, absolutely. what no, exactly banking what exactly was the value of 20 bucks <laughs> back in the it was day? It was probably far more tied to to like gold. Even when we went central banking, it was on the gold standard, yeah. but it was probably even more like tied to that. It's like yeah, we haven't it, been on yeah. the gold standard in a little while. So no, thank you, Nixon. I uh... <laughs> <laughs> a dollar's worth something because we say it's worth something. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what gold? I mean, gold. Even like we've all kind of agreed that gold is is worth something. It's like. I guess it takes more work to get gold out of the ground than it takes to to print money. But at the, at, at the end of the day, monkey see the shiny, monkey want the shiny. You know, it's it's like yeah, that's, that's what it really comes down to. It's it's, you know. it's very shiny and it's very good at conducting electricity. I mean, you'll find gold in most of your electronics, but yeah. But, as far I as mean, its that, utilitarian purpose, there's thousands of years ago they didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> but we still valued it. <laughs> to a ridiculous extent. But, I mean, the Washington you know. <laughs> Monument is capped with aluminum because at that time the aluminum was one of the the most precious of metals. I mean, and as we raise them tariffs, it's going to become even more precious. Oh, oh. God, don't get me started. <laughs> no, that's uh, again outside of the scope. I mean, there are some rabbit holes we will f- fall down, but that's that's for another show. Um. So yeah, Amendment Eight. Excessive pale, excessive fines, cruel and unusual punishment. I I feel like I should have picked a a a a shittier cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) Why? I'm gonna need it to get through this. (laughs) Just to drive home the cruel and unusual punishment (laughs) idea. Cruel and unusual punishment is, you know, 
having to pay for a keystone. Yeah. So so let's. I have done, only one time in my life have I done that, and it was a terrible, just a terrible experience. Don't do it. Don't don't no no. So I guess okay. Let's let's kick this discussion off with I guess a foundational question, JT. Okay. Do you have any thoughts about why? Why do we have this amendment? So the British were fairly uh, notorious for for cruel and unusual punishment for sort of a rigged justice system. I mean, uh, in the Americas and. You actually see evidence of uh, British brutality, I guess, in a in a legal sense, uh, right on up to. I'm tempted to say Ireland, Ireland in the the early 1900s. Mm. Uh, the idea that uh, a government can use whatever means necessary to extract a confession to imprison people they don't like uh all of that was sort of undone by this amendment because the americans we were just like well we've had enough of this uh we're going to make sure that um we have a fair and a an, an unbiased justice system uh which is i think what we're going to get into is that idea is debatable but at least on mm-hmm. paper uh, we are supposed to have an unbiased justice system that's not that is meant to punish, is meant to be strict and stern, but at the same time, it's not meant to appease some sort of sadistic uh, sentiment within the justice system of uh, the people who might be uh, the, the torturers. I, I suppose you would say. Mm-hmm. I think um, I mean, that practical concern, I think, feeds a lot into, like, last episode's discussion about um, 4, 5, and 6. Actually, no, this is the... Yeah, four, five, uh, 4, 5, and 6, I mean, similar, because that, that that's what really, you know, solidifies the legal system in, you know, in theory. And so this this solidifies a sense of what sentencing should be like, especially. Sentencing and, and bail. Yeah, sentencing and bail. And I think, so you're correct. I, I, I agree with you on that, but I think it goes deeper than that because I, one of the things that I try to remember about the founders is they're a bunch of nerds. And they're a bunch of, and they're a bunch of nerds who are very interested in, in um, you know, the philosophy of like human nature and they viewed a longer, a longer term of history and they saw a bigger picture than just, just the very, the very temporal and very like immediate concerns of what the, um, the British crown was up to. But like, I think they noticed that there was a natural human. Well, maybe they didn't, but I, I'll interpret it this way. There's a natural human tendency to, to like when we're in a pursuit of justice there's a tendency to go to pure punishment and to make the punishment f- fit the f- fit the sense of moral wrong that you're feeling and so there's a sense of you got to be brutal you got to throw the book at someone you've got to like you got to go above and beyond to make sure that people know that this is unacceptable behavior and that the social the social world understands that when you go a certain way that 
you know, there's a natural, in human nature, there is sometimes a pathway to cruelty that we don't like to admit to ourselves, but that it comes out under the circumstances of when, when you have a serious and vile crime, you have a natural sense of do as much as possible to this person because they deserve it. The, the idea of they deserve it. Right. But it's not something that the development of, you know, capital L or lowercase l liberalism, I don't know which one we want to, like, uh, indict here, it, but, it, like, it, at the time... irrelevant to me at this point. Yeah. Also, yeah. before we proceed, I, w- I do want to amend my Ireland uh, comment. <laughs> uh, you can see British brutality going way up to India, you know? Yeah. Almost within our lifetimes. No, and I, I think no, you said that again, and I, I, that clarifies the point I want to make. It's not just British cruelty. No, it's human. It's human cruelty, and it's the sense of you got to humiliate them on top of punishing them in a social, legal setting, and it's like we know, and 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 that's what I meant by like the founders. I think had a sense of like the philosophical, like human nature sense of it is like. We know this about ourselves, that we have this tendency, but we also know that when we indulge that tendency to vengefulness, I think that's part of it, vengefulness. We want vengeance there, for, the, for, for, for the social wrong, that we know that that's something we tend to do, but in the long run, it's harmful to society itself because it creates new, new problems, like when we indulge it too much. And so let's just take a step back and rethink how bail, punishment, the role of death in criminal punishment. Let's just rethink how our relationship is to that and how can we make it more just to the fact that like people are flawed in this way. This, uh, hmm. this is sort of going back to arguments I've made in the past about uh, the... In- the, the prison system in our country, uh, the, our prison system, it seems like a lot of people want our prison system set up and to first and foremost to punish mm-hmm. as opposed to, uh, there are certain European nations like, um, I know a lot of Scandinavian nations do this, but yeah. they have a completely yeah. different outlook. It's not to punish the criminals. It's to get the criminals away from the rest of the of their society it's mm-hmm. it's more so to isolate than it is to punish and as a result of the the way they treat their prisoners they give them education they give them uh, the ability to get out and actually be functioning members of society uh, and as a result they have a very low turnover rate like you don't see <clears throat> an incredible amount of people going back to prison after Mm. their first arrest uh, and their first sentencing. You actually see a lot of people going out into society and becoming better citizens themselves. So, Dan, maybe you know why. uh, Why is it that uh, we do not have that sort of mentality in this country? Why is it that Mm. uh, our prison system is set up just to satisfy some sort of 
punishment aspects to, to almost satisfy our our desire to see a really harsh punishment. Uh, yeah, no, no, that's a great point. And uh, I think I would interpret, I think I would say that and interpret the reason why we see that in America especially is America was, so, so the white part of America <laughs> was founded was founded by Puritans. And there's still quite a puritanical streak in the way we think. And it it, it comes out in this kind of, fire and brimstone wrath of god justice kind of a sense and it's it's something that like it, it's a cultural thing where we 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 feel this need to and oh no i'm going to i want to amend that <laughs> because i i just thought of something else i think that the um part of it is uh the idea of free will is so hard baked hard as hard tack baked into our legal assumptions that once you have been convicted of a crime that is historically deemed worthy of death so usually it's going to be like murder um treason uh you know the big sexual ones. sexual crimes things like that uh like the idea of free will is so hard encoded into our system that once you've been convicted of that, because you are so culpable, because you made that that decision to commit the crime so freely, and, and that's something that's necessary to, to establish the fact that a crime has been committed. It's the state of mind. It's the intent to commit a crime. That now you really have to like punish their sin and it's a punishment of sin that I think it comes down to. And then there are other there are other factors that feed into that that are far more political. It's it's less psychological, but it's an exp like the psychological is kind of political and that it, it it expresses its way up. And then the the actual like political side of it is you've got district attorneys and judges who are elected and their track records are up to public review by the voters and Let's just, you know, that psychology manifests as if you're, if you're soft on crime by not going for the death penalty in so many cases, then you're probably going to lose the next election. It's something that I've seen de depicted in media. It's like, um, you know, the people want, uh, uh, have you ever watched Mindhunter on Netflix? I actually have not. Oh, it's worth it. It's, it's about the, it's a drama. It's a very it's a very fluid dramatization of the establishment of the FBI's behavioral profiling unit. And in one scene, the profilers who are sort of starting this process of under, of like understanding the psychology of violent criminals and serial killers. And nobody sees the value in doing that. And then they're in, in one scene, they're having a meeting with a district attorney in Georgia and they're, they're like consulting on a case there. And she, she makes the case, uh, you know outright that the people want death for these people and i gotta give them yeah. what they want because the next election is going to depend on it so that that sort of mentality is actually brought up into a piece of local politics from my hometown i will not say where uh but <laughs> google away a, listeners a lot of the problem <laughs> a lot of the problems are coming from at least right now in this upcoming election cycle is uh the district attorneys are having trouble right now 
like the district attorneys, you know, the public prosecutors for the most part, uh, they're having trouble right now with getting reelected. And that has to do yeah. with their, they've had a horrible track record of criminals essentially going free. And I will say this because uh, what they do is they try to, they try to bring to trial a, a person for a crime that is worse, I would say, than what they're actually guilty of. Mm-hmm. So, for example, somebody who is could be found guilty of involuntary manslaughter, uh, they try to put up for, you know, for murder instead, you know, for, for the press, essentially, for for the the society of this local poli- of the, uh, the the local populace but when it is actually brought to trial they're not found guilty of murder because there's not enough evidence to support a murder charge they might well have been guilty of manslaughter but because of the double jeopardy laws they're not allowed to bring that same case to trial again and there have been many, many cases actually being brought up like this that are that's landed the district attorney in really hot water uh, and is posing a problem with uh, with reelection. And this is sort of falling into this idea that the public wants blood. I mean, go to your local hockey game when a fight when a fight breaks out, it's just like everybody's just shouting for blood. I, and it's it's something I don't really understand. And as entertaining as hockey fights might be, I really don't hope that other people actually get hurt for it no. because of it. Um, but yeah. I think it's it, that sort of mentality is permeated into our justice system, be it local, state, uh, or even in our uh, our national courts. Yeah, and and I think just to uh just to restate something, it's like I think part of the part of the potential controversy of this conversation and what I've already said is that I've talked about human nature and I think that there's some there's quite a bit of dispute over whether there is a human nature. I think there is, but also I don't fall into the naturalistic fa- fallacy that says that what is natural is by default good. It's something that we need to understand about because we're animals. You know, we're, I, I like, agree with that. We're, we're part of nature. We are part of it, and we have an evolutionary history. And there are impulses and like deep down, poorly understood, like drives in us. And I think that instead of denying whether we have a human nature, understanding it, and then compensating for those impulses when they no longer hold a social good or like a social value that's something that's important for developing a healthy society it's like a self-knowledge it's a self-understanding and we know this about ourselves that like the natural sense of have you ever wanted someone to have the have like the book thrown at them some people yeah everybody yeah like let me just ask this question outright because we just i mean hey Harkening back to our last episode not to go into details that would require another like content warning but like what would you like now that he's been in, indicted yeah, for his actually crimes? Actually indicted. What, what would you like to see happen to Harvey Weinstein? 
I'm sure that uh, many people would like to see terrifying things happen to him, and that's a natural reaction. I want to see the maximum punishment that is allowable by our justice system. That That's yeah. what I want to see. Like, you will I, be punished I, to the fullest extent of the law. That's the way that it's been I, it's been put. I yeah. do not want to see somebody, you know, dragged through the streets behind a car, you know, getting yeah. pelted with rocks from the oncoming crowd. Uh, you know, that that's not what I want to see. Uh, mm-hmm. But I would love to see a significant time in prison. You know? Oh, you don't want to see him stocked and pilloried and everybody throw potatoes and tomatoes and, and, and all that at him. Like, no, I that's don't. kind of like, I don't in, in the historical context. That's kind of what that, that's part of what the cruel and unusual side is. It's like, yeah, that yeah. was a, like, that was a thing that happened. I, I personally don't, but this goes with just about every criminal. I don't want to see them paraded in front of a public crowd and have, have the rotten tomatoes thrown at them. Like that's, that's, it's to me that sort of behavior brings is just a demonstration of the worst in us and we should always Mob, be striving mm-hmm. to be the best like we sh- we should not be publicly you know displaying our criminals and to that end but instead we should be isolating them you know without for sense with isolating them with no sense of of getting out of being sure. able to get out. that That's the type of, of punishment I would like to see uh, Mr. Weinstein uh, see. But uh, it has yeah. to... We should not be subjecting any criminal to a cruel and unusual punishment because in other cases, somebody could be innocent, put into jail uh, with you know faulty evidence or false testimony. And somebody mm-hmm. could actually be innocent and placed into uh, a penitentiary uh, for for a crime they didn't commit. So there's always that sense. You, you just jarred my memory on something. I had another point that I was going to make in response to that, but the, the word penitentiary, what's the root of that word? I'm thinking of other words that are <laughs> that are definitely following the same line like penal. Don't. Penitence. And penitence. Penitence. That was actually going to be my next word. There is, yeah, that goes back to like the, like the, it's almost like a, the, the, the like puritanical fire and brimstone way of approaching criminal justice in, in certain ways. It's like you're, you're doing your penitence for the sin. And that, that mindset I think permeates to the point where like, if you're getting very Old Testament or let's just use the term going medieval on someone <laughs> real wrath of God type stuff <laughs> fire and brimstone coming from the sky rivers and what is it boiling it's like, yeah it's just all that um, ooh yeah absolutely and like and under those circumstances if convicted Harvey Weinstein is almost certainly going away for a very very long time for whatever he did so it's yeah. So, so in that, Hey, it's good to have some, some news to report on that, on that front. Uh, yeah. Um, and if convicted, I yeah. would be very glad to see him away from the rest of civilized uh, society in, mm-hmm. in America. And uh, w- one more thing I wanted to bring up is what you were just saying kind of gets back to um, th- 
in this conversation that we're having about the Bill of Rights, we're talking about rights and responsibilities. Like, what is the responsibility connected to, let's just narrow it, to the Eighth Amendment, to this. If you see something, say something. If you see an injustice happening, if you have, uh, if you have a case where you think that it's going too far or an injustice has been done, cruel and unusual punishment has been inflicted, if you have that moral sense, make your case, protest. Make sure that the public understands, you know, the, and, and try to organize people around that. That Like, this is one of those, like, use your First Amendment to, 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 to bolster the others. You know, petition the government for a redress of grievances on oh, this. And, and I'm, I'm and, very much going to do so with a topic I really want to bring up. And that's the idea please. of a privatized prison. Like, oh, no. The privatized oh, no. prison system is... There was, I read a headline the other day. I didn't read the article because I couldn't bring myself to, I wasn't drunk enough. Um, I read the headline of an article the other day that said a private prison was threatening to shut down because there were not enough criminals in it. And I'm just good. like, we should be celebrating that fact. For fuck's sake. Good. This is this, this is uh, one of those things. We have and, reached a level right now where we are mo- like I feel like it's always been there in our society for some reason. Like we we saw it with slavery and we're seeing it with uh privatized prisons. We're seeing it, you know, it is not ended. This mentality that we are always willing to put aside human dignity, human rights for the sake of making a buck. And that oh, that is yeah. a mentality we need to crush. And I mean crush in our in our current society. Like there is absolutely nothing that I I can't even bring this into words because I'm so angry at this. And I and I have had a few. <laughs> I mean, let, the, let, let the vino bring out the veritas, JT. The vino is bringing the veritas in in very in much abundance, I would say. Um, but yeah, the the privatized prison system is so messed up because there is this one guy who is benefiting, benefiting monetarily for some for the actions of others, for mm-hmm. people disobeying the law, and he's not going to make a profit from like less from fewer criminals. He's not. Is he, he's going to push for? more things to be illegal. He's going to push for more prisoners because he wants to make more money. I mean, we should not be putting aside human dignity for the sake of monetary gain. And I think that's that I feel like that is the backbone of why the civil war was fought is, is we were willing to do that and we still are willing to do that. And until we, fix that mentality i don't think that we as a society are ever going to progress towards something more beneficial to all yeah. of humanity now this is a place where i i feel very strongly about this issue and i differ so much with so many uh, th- this is one of the reasons why i can't identify as a republican and why i'm really ambivalent about identifying openly as a conservative. It, and I think at heart, I still am that, 
my assumptions haven't changed, but my understanding of them has. And I don't play the tribal, the, like, like the tribal game that we see more now because I believe in a limited government. But I believe that when a government is responsible for something, when it's on their big list of duties, that they're ultimately responsible for it. And there is no other way to go about it. It's something that we have passed off on them. And criminal justice is one of those things. And the idea of offloading that onto the profit motive, and this is just nonsensical to me. The, The government, like, the state is responsible for criminal justice. It is responsible for protecting the citizenry from threats, foreign and domestic. And domestic, I think, encompasses crime and our natural tendency to, like, not follow the rules. And when we break the rules, you got to be punished because you got to understand that there are consequences and that's what kind of keeps us regulated to our society. So the idea of the the government relinquishing that to a private entity is so like abhorrent to me like the idea of profit is not something that needs to be fully embraced by conservatism or republicans and this is like i'm not coming back to the party until you sort at, like this is one of the many issues that i'm not coming back until you sort this out and i don't know how exactly to go about that but like and, and it goes to like, I don't trust mercenaries, <laughs> you know. No. And and and, and like th- this is mercenary justice. Like mercenary militarism is bad enough. We saw enough of that uh, during the. Uh, looking back, and I understand the mistakes that like the bad decisions and the bad positions I held then, during the the Bush administration and the Iraq War, that was that was run by mercenaries. You know, Blackwater and all those other entities, that was wrong. This is wrong too. Private, privatized prisons, fuck the savings. Fuck the savings you think that you are making by offloading this onto the profit motive. It is something that is so... Matters of life and death should not be left to the profit motive. Ex- you period. Hit, you hit the nail on the head, man. That's... Fucking period. Like, that's where I stand. And I've, I've had a hard time making that case because it's like, I'm... It's like... Dan, pushback I'll get. It's like, yeah. Dan, I don't think I've ever seen either of us get this angry over a subject before, (laughs) at least on this show. And And I think that this. No, go on. Like, we are both absolutely livid, drunk and livid with this. To get back to the Eighth Amendment, it offends our moral sensibilities, and we want the most possible done to whoever's responsible for this and we have an entire show to do on privatized prisons i mean like this is this is i'm happy to talk about a a little bit here but it's like expect more on the subject listeners yeah this is this is a big topic like yeah oh and, and and by the way it came up in a previous episode this topic and at the time i wasn't sure if uh if the if the if the current administration, uh, I don't have my golf clicker out, so I didn't want to say his name, but if the current administration um, had rolled back President Obama's uh, change to the, like his, his instruction to the Department of Justice to stop using private prisons for federal crimes, which is 
actually a very like trivial amount that we see like a very lot little, of like little. most crimes are state are, are prosecuted at the state level so it didn't make that big of an impact but it happened to be that like a year to the day after we posted that before we posted that episode was when the administration like when okay no i can say i can say jeff uh, jeff sessions uh, name when when sessions department of justice reverse that policy it was like a it was it was literally like a year to the day when we posted that episode that that he had done that and it's like yeah yeah it's it like even if it's a trivial amount it's still like the message it sends is even prisons are open for business (laughs) it still exists the problem still exists these are real people and even if it's a single person that single person is still affected somebody with with a profit motive is using them like to make a profit using their crimes to make a profit so is a privatized prison more likely to make money when there's a lot of crime or when there is less crime I think it is when there is a lot of crime, if you can do mm-hmm. the math, if you went to first grade. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, you have all these people making a profit off of crime. I'm just going to come out and say it. Aren't they criminal lords? Aren't they crime bosses in that sense? Well, <laughs> like, well I don't know about that case, but it definitely like, well, let's go back to Jeff Sessions. Oh, Jeff. Roll back roll back the idea of uh, privatized prisons at the federal level and reinvigorate the drug war. Those two there you go. Those two issues combined are symbiotic. That's a dualism right there, not just liberty and justice. Like, I know that is a that sort of embodies the like the liberty to do whatever you want with your consciousness versus the justice system. And this is a separation of the two and then a recombining in such a toxic way because the drug war, it, it, it is, it's, it's kind of at this point, it is a business model. Like it is, if you want to smoke marijuana, whatever, you know, it's like, it's your, it's business. something that I, yeah. And, and it's something, Hey, next episode, we're going to talk about the 10th amendment and it's going to be something that like, it's something that should be up to the states. Oh, and yeah. the the idea of a federal a federal ban on it is like less and and, and like the reasons why are less and less convincing. Yeah. And it's the the reasons and, and especially. I mean, that's the a, there's some especially. really bad science that goes into that, and I am so excited to talk about that in a future episode. Yeah, it's gonna come up, and then and then and then back to that. It's like the combination of that issue and privatized prisons is it's you know recidivism is a business plan as we said in previous episodes but um you know and and that i guess like as far as the the prosecution of those crimes goes that that kind of gets to the idea of bail and the way that bail is used in in many instances to 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 keep people who otherwise could be productive citizens in jail while waiting for their trials and it's something that like there are so many options for bail and cash bail and bond are are it it, it, it it's something that, that that drives injustices in our system because if you think that you know you can lose your job if you go to jail for a for a weekend or for a couple of days for for something and you, something trivial you but if you're waiting in, for you could be completely innocent of it like yes yeah, yeah 
Um, and it's something that it's something that drives plea bargaining too, because a lot of I mean, okay, I don't know numbers off the top of my head. I'm I'm going to admit that, but I can say for sure that on a certain level, people are more likely to plea bargain a case and just make the situation go away, but end up with a criminal record that will screw them in the future just because they cannot make the bail that has been been imposed by by a judge. And right. that's something that just like that's an injustice right there. And to me, yeah. like what what's going to be more significant, uh, uh, the million dollars to the Hollywood producer for bail mm-hmm. or the million dollars to the single mom who's working three jobs that happen to get arrested for, you know, smoking a marijuana on the on the weekends, you know. Yeah, it's and Mm-hmm. Actually, tidbit fact of the day: Did you know why all the you know the old school pimps used to wear a lot of gold chains? No, it was to collect. It was for bail money. Oh wow, that's fascinating! It, because uh, when he got arrested, had to post some sort of cash bail. Uh, they would have to turn in you know, some sort of cash. And if they didn't want to go to a bail bondsman or something like that, they just hand over their gold, which was worth something. So that, you know, that makes sense because yeah, I've seen it's So I, I've seen videos of like dark ages, Viking era reenactors talking about like people used to wear their money. Like when you yeah. wore jewelry, like you would trade it for things and like, wow, that's really going back to something primal. So now, that's... so now, you know, and knowing is half the battle. Indeed. G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe. Sorry, listeners. <laughs> I was not expecting to do that, but I will just say that the Chicago cocktail is a damn tasty thing. And I'm enjoying sucking it down. I must say, damn good stuff, sir. Well, JT, I will... I'm going to just bring it back to something foundational. All right. I'm going to ask you a question. Death penalty. Yes or no? No. Why? (laughs) The why is the most important part. It's the Uh, most interesting part. Okay. (laughs) Actually, I'm going to rephrase. Yes and no. Okay. okay, so the no part first, because the no is my primary thing. Uh, I say no because, one, I do not want the government to have that kind of power to take away a person's life. That person could have been innocent and put to death. Two, it has to do with completely materialistic reasons. Uh, it is actually more expensive through the appeals program, attorney fees, et cetera, et cetera, just legal fees and general cost is more expensive to put somebody to death than it is to keep somebody alive, Mm -hmm. which is a burden on taxpayers. Now I'll I'll get to the the yes part of this. Uh, The only crime that I think that should be punishable by death is high treason during a time of war. And, and that's it, like a declared state of war, uh, form, formal by Congress uh, declared state of war. So none of this police action. We don't have right now. No, we, we have not had that since 1945. No. And, uh, I mean, we've been at a de facto state of war for almost 17 years, but still, like, that. that's like... Okay, no, that's, that's interesting. I'm going to say... 
Same. (laughs) Ditto. Ditto? 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 Okay, so on the... On the no, I'm going to say ditto for basically the same reasons. You, you, you really boiled it down. Oh, I just want to point out, um, fun, fun fact. I once had to, so, um, and a dramatization of this went into my um, law school application uh, personal statement, my essay that went with it, is uh, I, I once had to take a speech and debate class where the final project was a, like a full-blown policy debate. And we got to choose our topics, but we did not get to choose which side of the topic we are on. So when me, at the time, I was like a hardcore, like far right kind of Republican guy. Like it, it was like the end of high school. So it's a long time ago. And um, so so my me and my conservative cohorts got together, came up with a death penalty question. And then when the coin toss came, we had to argue against it, <laughs> which was a fun exercise to oh, take yeah. seriously. It- and nope. we ended up winning the uh, now. Now the way it was structured is we had to like make our cases, and there were teachers from other periods who were not busy that time who were judging the debate. We ended up winning it, and for basically the reasons that you just stated. So for, um, for the no side, when yeah. when I was in high school, uh, one of my teachers, my my senior year, put together a class. Uh, he called it Supreme Court Law. It's one of the greatest classes I've ever taken. And yep. it was a class of 16 people, and we were divided into groups of four. And the way the class worked was two of the groups of four would be handed a case and told what side that they would be arguing for. It was uh, Supreme Court cases. And the other eight would sit on the Supreme Court and would have to render a verdict. And we'd have to go up there and argue our cases before the Supreme Court. And at the the very last case that we came up to was a case that actually at the time had not been decided yet. Really? It was the case of Hamdan v. Rumsfeld. And mm. uh, this, this was the case of Hamdan was this man who was uh, picked up in Afghanistan. He was supposedly uh, Osama bin Laden's driver at, at some point. And uh, what they, the U.S. wanted to do with him was uh, put him through a military tribunal. And at the time, I was very similar to you and that I was more right wing. I was, you know, more Republican, big R Republican than I am now. Uh, I'll just interject and say yeah. that I was probably more so than you. Yeah. Like, I, and I had some views uh, that I don't know. In, You'd be surprised. In, in, in the future, I may be willing to talk about yeah. them, but like at the time, like right now, it's like I'm a very different person. Yeah. But anyway, <laughs> but continue. We we were given the uh, the case of Hamdan Rebrumsfeld, and we were uh, my little group of four was handed a side of Hamdan. Like so, it ended up being uh, I was the one selected to bring the argument up before the Supreme Court, and. Yeah, and and I was I was eighteen at the time, and I was (laughs) I was trying to argue a case like a legal case that hadn't been decided yet, and what it pretty much boiled down to for me uh, was I looked at the facts and I was just like, this man cannot be tried by military tribunal because he's not a member of a formal military. Now under the Geneva Convention, he has to be tried in a civilian court. He's not subject to military law if he's not part of an organized military. And I went before the Supreme Court and what impresses me to this day is the the eight students who were my age at the time 
decided in favor of Hamdan. Like they came together mm. and by a majority uh, decided in in favor of Hamdan. And it was really odd because just the following month when graduation happened, mm-hmm. the, the results of the case came out and Hamdan won the case on those very same grounds. Oh, wow. And I remember going up to my teacher after graduation and I said, did you hear the, the verdict in the Hamdan trial? And he hadn't. And I told him and he was so impressed with, with the way the students, uh, uh, rendered their verdict and with the arguments that were made. And to me, that that's what we need to be teaching, you know, uh, the kids, the, the future of tomorrow. We need to mm. be teaching that art of, uh, I would say, argument, like uh, yeah. presenting an argument and uh, coming up with a basis for it, a logical, rational uh, reason and arguments yeah arguments in good faith especially because i think it's easy to like you can become a sophist and you can be a bullshitter and <laughs> be basically good at arguing but never really have a have a good point at any point but jt that's fantastic like you basically predicted what the at that age you were able to predict what the yeah, supreme court it, was was going to go it for it wasn't just me but it was the supreme court i'm i'm more impressed with with the classmates i mean yeah yeah well that's great man. yeah I'm like that's something we need more of in our. I, and, I, hey, it's, I would it's love to see more, that class in every single high school. I, yeah. I would love well, to see that. Well, I'm going to point out, and I forget if it, if this came up in the Second Amendment episode where we talked about uh, like, like the Parkland uh, high school students and the fact that like their school district requires this kind of like argument and debate class, and it's more and more becoming the thing. The, the class that I described in my in my anecdote, and hey, we're, we, we just have anecdotes yeah, here is... for now. Um, let's just keep it to that. But um, like for my anecdote, that class that I took, it was an it was an elective, like it was an advanced English course that like in my senior year I took, and it's like I got knocked up into that. Ooh. But now it is a requirement, and I think in New York State on the Regents exam, there is a part that is now dedicated to like you have to know how to form and support an argument, which that's something that wasn't a necessity in my age. And, and maybe that's, that's going to be a good thing in the long term. You know? I, th- I certainly think so. And I'm really hopeful, like, I think with courses like that, you know, being more prevalent in, uh, in American society, we're going to see a lot more, uh, really Citizen. great people yeah. and great i would say great people becoming great citizens and that's yeah and and that's exactly it i think our school system does a does a terrible job or at least did in my experience of teaching citizenship skills right um but but now to get back to the original uh, argument about right. the death penalty so like we, we we agree on the no but the difference for me on the yes is Okay, so I think that to a certain extent and to a to a large extent actually, criminal justice should be dedicated to rehabil isolation and rehabilitation. It, it should be preparing it should be like preparing people to re enter society and like the, 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 the like the vi- the, like the the harshness of even just going to prison under this constitutional restraint is still a terrifying experience and it like Pr- prisons are treated as like 
criminal graduate schools still. Like right. the internal workings of a prison are still terrible. But so as far so so I think that for certain crimes, and no, not just for certain crimes, but add to that certain psychologies. If you've got a psychopath who is completely closed off to rehabilitation. They're going to offend again if they ever get out. And it's going to cost so much to, to, to house them and to isolate them for the rest of their natural lives. The, the idea of expeditiously removing them from, the, from life is tempting. Now that intuition i think is negated by many of the no points that you brought up like the appeals process completely i i think it negates that intuition right there because there's no expeditious way to to remove a psychopath so it's like like on a moral level you should have just been able to like decapitate ted bundy a week later but that would have, but but under under a sense of justice that we all need to agree to under those those reasons against it, that's not a possibility. He would be able to, he would have been had he not been killed by other prisoners, because <laughs> that's how terrible he was. True. Um, it, it, had that not been the case, it would have taken you know thirty years for him to get to the point of of a death sentence, and like. That's not an option. So, like, that intuition that I have about the applicability of the death penalty is kind of negated by the practical concerns of, of that. So, so I just wanted to, like, uh, sort of clarify that. And you brought up treason, which is an interesting yeah. uh, th- uh, thing to talk about because we've been talking about the Bill of Rights, but, but treason is the only piece of criminal law that is in the Constitution. Like, and, like, expressly brought up like the only piece of criminal law that is other than like impeachment and that's something that's very poorly understood it's more so the process of impeachment than anything i mean it's yeah but well, well, tre- well, the, treason's the one that's brought up it's like this yeah. is treason yeah like the grounds for impeachment are nebulous but the the definition of treason is tight and I think it's that way for a similar reason to why we have the Eighth Amendment generally is like we know how we can be <laughs> under certain <laughs> circumstances, and uh, I actually have my pocket constitution open to it. So if if you oh. if you'd like, I could just read it out. I'm on seven, eight, nine right now. So okay, yeah, no, no, I I flipped to it in my little Cato Institute copy of it. It's uh it's Article Three, Section Three, Treason Against the and Mr. President. Hear this. Now hear this because you've been using this term wrongly. Treason against the United States shall consist only, an important legal term, only in levying war against them or in adhering to their enemies, giving them aid and comfort. No person shall be convicted of treason unless on the testimony of two witnesses to the same overt act or on confession in open court. Uh, yeah, there that, you are. It's it's pretty is, cut and dry. Yeah, 
and I think the reason for that is the word treason has been a favorite word of tyrants. And you can call something... Treason is such a... The act of betrayal that that entails is such a... It, it, it hits us at our core. Very true. And so if you can get that word to apply, and especially in the British case and other societies, like that's something that, you know, is easily abused as you can see in the way that we use the word today outside of that legal context. But like, we know we're not good all the time. And so we got to put that, that extra piece of like, no in the constitution. Yeah. Yeah. There it is. That's just something I want to bring up, but I don't Do you have any thoughts on that? Like how, how treason should be construed um, in, in the modern context? Yeah, to me in the modern context, Congress has to have a declared state of war uh, or if a, uh, I almost feel like there should be some sort of list of hostile governments or I would say, hot, yeah, hostile governments uh, that are official so that if uh, a person engages in uh, some sort of money scheme with them, uh, who are hostile to the United States, they could also be c- convicted of treason. But oh. but I would certainly certainly okay. say that they are not subject to the death penalty at that point because they are not in a declared state of war. No. And uh, uh, I don't want to say off the top of my head, there might be a statute governing the actual uh, punishment for treason, but I'm not sure... Yeah, I'm, I think I'm I looked sure. it up once a while ago, but I I I, I don't want to don't take don't take legal advice from me yet. Yeah. <laughs> to our listeners, we're drunk. Don't ever think that you could take legal advice from us. <laughs> <laughs> but something that uh, well, let's add to that. Um, the the last clause of that that section of the Constitution, Congress shall have the power to declare the punishment for treason, which they may have done. I'll have to look it up, mm-hmm. but I can't say so on air right now. No attainder of treason shall work corruption of blood. So let's take let's just take oh, let's take a theoretical person who's committed right. treason. Right. Their children cannot be blamed for that. Like that is the responsibility of the person. And like Very true. whatever happens to them, that's the only thing that happens. So that ah, just yeah. it shouldn't matter who your parents are. It matters who you are. Yeah, your actions, your. Yeah, your responsibility. Your actions, your responsibility. There it is. In a nutshell. Well, you you also mentioned um, a declared war, which I completely agree with, and that's a power that Congress really needs to retake for itself. And, you know, 17 years of undeclared state of de facto war, cruel and unusual punishment entails torture. Agreed, and that's and and that's something that we have to talk about again because you know it, it it's something that that this administration seems like he, you know Donnie has been on record basically saying that you know waterboarding and a lot more during the Republican debates he made this point and I have no reason to believe that he doesn't. You know, really believe that because he's got, he's got that streak in him. He he's never he doesn't have the capacity to sit back and you know, 
interrogate himself on his impulses. If somebody who believes that waterboarding is not torture, I challenge them to stand up and get waterboarded themselves. At the very least, I challenge them to go find the Vanity Fair, the Vanity Fair video of Christopher Hitchens subjecting himself to waterboarding. To prove it. In, to prove a in point. The pur- in the pursuit of this. And he comes back and says... It's annoying to me now to read every time it's discussed in the press or in Congress that it simulates the feeling of drowning. It doesn't simulate the feeling of drowning. You are being drowned slowly. If you hold your breath, it has the effect of tightening the grip of this stuff on your, over your face and mouth and nostrils. So it's a, it's a smothering feeling as well as a drowning feeling. It, everything completely goes on you when you're breathing water. You, you, you can't think about anything else. It would be bad enough if you did have something um, suppose they wanted to know where a relative of yours was, or a lover, say. You, you feel, well, I'm going to betray them now, because this has to come to an end. I can't, I can't take this anymore. But what if you didn't have anything? What if they'd got the wrong guy? Then you would really, you'd be in danger of losing your mind very quickly, I think. But I wholeheartedly believe that waterboarding should be construed as torture. It is. It is torture. It, and as Hitch just said, it does not simulate the sensation of being drowned. You are being drowned and you will suffer physical consequences. You know, the panic mechanism kicks in and it's, it's something that just because you're not taking a flog to the bottoms of the feet, just because you're not driving bamboo shoots under, under the fingernails, just because you're not shoving something into an orifice and like opening it up, like you would see in medieval torture devices, our definition should include something like that. Yeah. We are, you know, we should be a country that sh- we should be taking the moral high ground. I mean, yeah. To we me, be a paragon. To, to me, this reduces us down to the level of the people who are, who are fighting us. Like that's at its heart. It, it brings us down. It, it, it brings us down to, a really low level that I don't want our country to be in. I feel like we've been in that for years. Like, mm-hmm. uh, a person should be innocent until they are proven guilty by a court of law, and we should not be torturing people. Period. No. Like, uh, end stop. That's it. Absolutely. And no, I'm complete with completely with you there and uh, under under the current current circumstances it's like especially now that the war seems like it's going on in secret like like the war on terror like we we don't even have the input we don't know what's going we do not even know anymore what's being done in our name and it's it's just that's not good <laughs> like no, it, not it, it use... is not good for a healthy republic this yeah, is um... like not not to use such a nebulous term as not good, like ungood, double, double plus, plus ungood, ungood this is. This is double plus ungood behavior. JT, any any closing thoughts that you have on this subject? Because I think we've had a pretty um, pretty rambunctious discussion. Yeah, this is, uh, I, I think, this point. Um, about the only thing I can really say at this point is about cultural universals, so moral universals. Um, I tend to believe that all cultures are morality is almost completely subjective, but there is something in us that pretty much follows the old golden rule, you know, 
treat others the way you want to be treated. Uh, that's that I think is one of the very few moral, I would say, universals in amongst human beings, at least. Um, so in this sense, uh, we should not be if to me, cruel and unusual punishment is something you would definitely not want to fall under, no matter how like if you think that you, if you were guilty of a crime and knew you were guilty of a crime and still had a sort of moral conscience, if you were subjected to something and de decided to deem it as cruel and unusual, you shouldn't be, you know, punishment should be just, they should not be cruel and unusual. I think that's, that's really at the heart of our argument. I agree with that. And I'm, I'm going to close with something that, might actually reignite the discussion because because oh, uh, it's a it's a point that i'm well it, it, yeah well, well let's see where it goes so right. cruel and unusual punishment is something that we are all i think prone to at our deepest level and that when you understand that about yourself, you have far more respect for both yourself and for the rest of humanity. And you also are far more wary of the possibilities. And that when people who have not done that soul-searching indulge that impulse to inflict cruel and unusual and unjust punishment on people, the responsibility that exists there is to say something, to use your speech, to speak truthfully, and to do whatever you can publicly to make that point. For instance, if you are, if you see people being killed without due process of law in the streets by the police, citizens of a supposedly lawful republic, and you want to take a knee during the national anthem on the football pitch, to use a slightly British term, fucking do it. This kind of, I just brought up the NFL's recent policy change on the national anthem, and I think that it's one of the most disgusting decisions, one of the most disgustingly political decisions that they made. And I think that yeah. people like Colin Kaepernick and, and others who want to follow his stead, like they are making a public, peaceful, unintrusive statement on some injustice that they see happening and one that I basically agree is something. Citizens are being killed in the streets by police without due process of law. And that should fall under that... I mean, yeah, I think that should fall under the Eighth Amendment. And if you see something, say something. You know, and that's your right. Dan, I think that the national anthem in the NFL is its entire show. It, 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 yeah. it, it really is. That's an entire show right there. It uh, might we, be old news by the time we oh, get to yeah. it, but I agree. I, I agree we, that we it could be a, a full discussion. Yeah. Like, shame on me for bringing it up at the very end of the episode before the Illuminati kicks in with their warnings. And there they are. <laughs> Damn it. Oh, shit. Speak of the devil. Well, that sound, of course, is our sign that the moment of clarity is on its way. <laughs> the only sober part of this entire show. 
indeed, JT, you're gonna you're gonna carry us out with that. But on the way to that point, I would just like to say, if you have any uh, any hate mail, any love mail, any cocktail recommendations, any comments, any arguments, any disagreements, sultry please, love letters, anything <laughs> of that sort, please, please feel free to email us at cocktailpartycongress.com at gmail uh, cocktail party congress at gmail.com there i said it correctly what about our music what about tell them about the music our music is dark sea land by kevin mcleod you can find that track and many more royalty free pieces of beautiful work many arrangements of things you may recognize other others are original works of his you can find more of that at incompetech.com kevin mcleod thank you so much Thanks for Kevin. putting this out for our general use, for fair use, for 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 America, license. for America, yeah. In vino veritas, my friends. In vino veritas. Listeners, since the end of the Cold War and the collapse of the Soviet Union, our republic has been suffering from a sort of loss of national identity. During the Cold War. America drew a sense of identity and purpose from the competition with the opposing forces of communism. Now that our major competitor has collapsed, our republic has lost track of its true purpose. For so long we were defined by our enemies that we seemingly forgot who we were as a people. America is still reeling from the effects of this post-Cold War depression, and it is high time that we come to terms with what it actually means to be American. What we are currently seeing in our culture is the seemingly endless struggle between the dialectically opposing forces of traditionalism and progressivism. By no means is this a new argument, but it is now seen in a new light brought upon by the Cold War mentality that our Republic has grown accustomed to. The traditionalists are viewing their opposition as enemies, much in the way that the Americans viewed the Soviets. For them, it is no longer a debate, but a war on traditionalism, a culture war, to use the phrase often thrown about by traditionalists. To attack the status quo of the past is suddenly viewed as being anywhere from strongly undesirable to un-American. At the same time, the more progressive fashions launch their counterattacks upon traditionalism with boldness and at times a certain rashness brought upon by the frustrations that come with rationally arguing with the irrational. On a broader scale, our republic seems to have lost its way when it comes to national identity. We have come to let our enemies define who we are as a people, rather than our cultural values. Perhaps we should take a step back and look at the larger picture of the American Republic. What makes us strong? What do we value? Where did we go wrong, and how can we rectify our wrongdoings? These are the questions that we must ask ourselves as rational beings. We must begin to change our culture to reflect the values that we wish to see our society come to cherish. And we can do that by changing ourselves. Understanding our own individual faults gives us the ability to find solutions and redemptions. The larger and more important changes will follow in due time. Regardless of whether you see yourself as a progressive or a traditionalist, 
as a liberal or a conservative. You must stop letting yourself be defined by your enemies. The solution to our post-Cold War depression lies not within the defeat of our opposition, but in the conquest of our inner selves. After all, did not Alexander weep when there were no more worlds to conquer? Our goal should be to better ourselves, for if we are able to define ourselves by our own values, we will be able to bring about the best in our society and make our republic a better nation for the world of tomorrow. As author Chuck Palniuk once wrote, we can spend our lives letting the world tell us who we are, sane or insane, saints or sex addicts, heroes or victims, letting history tell us how good or bad we are, letting our past decide our future, or we can decide for ourselves, and maybe it's our job to invent something better. The Republic still stands.